Um, I'm Stephanie Jansky, Director of Programming at the City Club of Cleveland, and I'm welcoming you to our sixth film forum of the 43rd Cleveland International Film Festival. We are discussing the film Roll Red Roll and answering the framing question, how do we stop rape culture? Uh, for the first 15 minutes or so, moderator Nick Castell will lead our panel in a conversation, and the second half is powered by your questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand, and Rob will come over with the, with the microphone to you. Please don't shout out your question. Um, as we are recording for our podcast, we want to be sure we can capture your voice. And with that, I'd like to turn this forum over to Ideas Stream reporter-producer, Nick Castell. Great, thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm Nick Castell. I am a reporter here with uh, IdeaStream. Uh, you hear me on WCPN or see me on WVIZ. I want to introduce our panelists here, and we'll, as you heard, have a conversation very briefly and then invite you to join us as well. Immediately to my right is uh, Rachel DeSell, reporter at The Plain Dealer, uh, also with us. Let's hear it for The Plain Dealer. <laughs> Also with us is Alexandria Goddard, who you'll recognize from the film. Brendan, Brendan Ours is a senior at St. Edward High School, and he is part of a team of student directors from St. Ed's who created a, a, their own film, a documentary called Labyrinth, which interviewed women about their experiences with sexual assault, harassment, and misogyny. And also... And uh, Nancy Schwartzman is the filmmaker, award-winning technologist who produced this film. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Um, I, I, Nancy, I wanted to start with you. You said you directed, sorry, wrong terminology. Um, would you be able to explain, first of all, I know that in interviews about this film, you have said that you wanted it to shock, in particular, men and boys. And I wondered if you could explain what were you hoping to shock people into seeing? Looks like we've got, well, if you could just borrow the microphone to your left, maybe. Some of them are working, some of them aren't here. Hello? Okay, great. Um, it's just such an honor to be in Ohio and to have uh, two such incredible women, uh, Rachel and Alex. I also just want to honor two people who helped make the film, David Holm, who's an Ohio native, who shot Amazing, amazing cinematography. David, if you can wave so people can see you. It's amazing. And um, the incredible Michelle Robinson, who you heard from in the film, uh, who told her story during the rally and before of Michelle, if you can wave. We're so happy to have you here. Um, you know, what I wanted to do with this film, I've done anti-violence work um, for over a decade. So I've been deeply involved, I myself am also a survivor of sexual assault, and I've been deeply involved with really digging into, you know, both healing and trying to investigate rape culture and why this happens, and really the only people that can answer the question why this happens are those who commit rape. Um, and with this film, I had the opportunity to shift the burden off of the victim and telling a story about rape and actually put the focus um, and our gaze where it belongs, which is on those who commit the acts of violence, those who witness and don't do anything, and um, the institutions and adults uh, who don't hold people accountable and enable it. So um, when I say I wanted to shock people, it's really shock us out of our complacency 
um, there's this idea in this film, and I think throughout our culture, that like rape is just something that happens, that it's inevitable, it's what happens on a Friday night at a high school party, it's what happens if you go out with a football player, it's what happens if you drink too much, and that inevitability is actually not true. Um, we were born into this culture, it doesn't mean we have to uphold it. So I just wanted to sort of shake everyone to see, like, this is it, this is the rape culture that your kids are sort of experiencing in high school, that I experienced in high school, that college students have, that people in industries across the United States are experiencing, and like, we don't, we can change this. So that's what I wanted to shock people out of. And Alex, could you explain for us, um, I, I know we all saw these, text messages and tweets in the film, but when you first discovered these on, on Twitter, on Instagram, where you have students, or you know, you have these, these, these you know, juveniles, these young men actually using the word rape, describing what they saw as rape in the moment, like what was your reaction? Like what did you think when you saw that? Um, I was mortified. It was very disheartening and you know, I wanted to know why didn't someone step in? And the more that I dug into the tweets, um, you know, they're like J.P. Rizzo said, there was no hero that night. So it just, you know, it was disgust that, you know, someone would make fun of someone in that position and not intervene. Mm -hmm. and, and what did you hope, uh, I don't know if you had in your mind at the time, like, something that you hoped would happen when you started writing about this, when you started posting these these tweets to call attention to what they were saying? Like, what were you hoping would, would come from that? Um, I wanted people to be as shocked as I was at what I read and that this type of behavior isn't right. And, you know, especially for parents, no one knew what their kid was doing on social media. And, you know, as parents, you know, you're obligated to take care of your kids and know what they're doing. And so, you know, part of why I posted was, you know, this is happening. It's something that parents have to be um, aware of. And also with teens, you know, everything you put out there is not in your little Twitter bubble. There's nosy people like me looking at it. <laughs> do, you, do you think that, I mean, looking back at how things turned out, that it did sort of achieve what, what you had hoped in bringing people's attention to this culture of dismissiveness about sexual assault? Yeah, I, I really think that it did. And once the Michael Nodianos video um, was posted online, that was the point where no one can argue that rape culture exists because that video epitomizes what rape culture is. And so I think at that point, people understood that it was no longer just a feminist buzzword, but this is actually something that's happening in our communities. And, you know, just we have to address it. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel, I wanted to ask you um, if you could just describe, like, as you're covering a story like this, was there any kind of, I don't know, s special sensitivity or special things you had to keep in mind given the fact that so many of the people at the center of this were minors at the time? Oh, I think. Like only one of us can talk at a time. Um, so I think from the, from the beginning of our coverage of this, um, we were trying to not 
get sucked into covering just an individual case about individuals. Um, you know, Steubenville is, is a couple hours from here. We don't generally cover things that, that far away. And, and, you know, in part, the reason that we got into it was because, you know, Alex's, I think, advocacy that someone else needs to be covering this as well. Um, but it was trying to make a bigger point from the very first story that, yes, this happened in Steubenville. Yes, this involves football. But this could have been any town, you know. This could have been any party. Um, and so we tried not to focus as much on the individuals, even though we covered um, we covered the case in that kind of mechanical criminal justice way. But when we put all of our focus on the in individuals, we're not focusing on um, the conversation about, you know, what can be done to change this situation. So I think that was kind of in mind. And in terms of, of dealing with minors, you know, of course, you know, any time that we cover something, you're always measuring that. You know, I think in the beginning we had, you know, two young men who were accused of a crime and we, we didn't use their names initially because they were juveniles, they were in a juvenile court. Um, the information, you know, from the very beginning was kind of changing, you know, different stories were changing. Even the police were really unsure because they were interviewing a lot of young people and hearing a lot of different things. So it took a little while to sort that out. And I think our goal wasn't to be part of what was being put out there, but, but to kind of step back and, and try to figure out what was actually happening. Sorry, so I can ask you another question. <laughs> um, now, you've also covered sexual assault and rape cases in Cleveland. I mean, you spearheaded a lot of work around untested rape kits in Ohio after, please, um, after the, the Anthony Soul killings and, uh, you know, several years ago. The attitudes that we heard expressed in this film from people saying, well, it's their, you know, her fault for getting in the car and trying to put the blame on the victim as, uh, Nancy, like you said, seeing this as an inevitability. Do you think that those attitudes were pervasive in other places as you've covered this issue? I think I think any time you cover a sexual assault case, you're gonna you're gonna get that kind of back and forth. I mean, I, I don't think I've covered a sexual assault case where someone somewhere couldn't find a reason to blame the person that was attacked for what happened to them. Um, I think there's been a great pushback against that, you know, in recent years, and it, it's good that that's happening. I think that the, the public dialogue is changing. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about this film that is a, a good opportunity is to move beyond figuring out what we think about it and move towards figuring out how to do something about it. And so I think if you, if you look at the young folks in this film, you see these moments when they're realizing this was not right, this was not, I mean, it's sinking in for them, the gravity of it. But that doesn't mean that they or their friends or other kids just like them know how to act differently then automatically. Um, so I think the, the real importance of this film, and I'm, I'm glad that it's gonna be seen widely, is to take the next step with that conversation and say, how do we get outside of talking about one situation and knowing what's right and wrong and actually blending that in with what we teach kids and not just saying don't do this or do this, but how do we act in that situation? You know, how do we respond? You have to practice. You don't know in any given situation how to react unless someone has taught you and shown you and you've you figured it out because these are, you know, intense situations for kids and they don't want to be the ones speaking up if they feel pressure. So I think we can kind of do a little bit more of that now with this film as a basis for that conversation. And, uh, 
Um, Nancy, when you went to Steubenville to interview people in town about this, so this is obviously several years afterward, was it your sense that that kind of conversation was happening, that people were talking about how do we, you know, teach young boys not to do this and to police their friends to make sure that, that th they aren't doing that either? Hello. Okay. Um, well, I just, I love what Rachel said about um, young kids, like what's blended into education in terms of intervention and even taking a step back from how do I act in this situation? What are we calling this situation? Like, what is a bystander? What is an upstander? Um, what is a perpetrator? What are patterns of this behavior? Now we finally have some kind of language for that. It's very early. Um, and really the next step is that work. That work's not happening anywhere. I mean, it's happening and, you know, so we're touring with this film. We have a big impact campaign that centers on men and boys and also all kinds of education and engagement. And we've done sort of a gamut of screenings um, in Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin up north, football's big. We went to the school, we screened for 100, 18, 19 year olds in college um, just to test the waters. Um, we didn't do heavy education while we were there. We we're just like, so what do you think of this movie? We're gonna ask you some questions. And this is a place very much like Steubenville. One thing I did notice is that there are no women in leadership anywhere in Steubenville. Um, there's no women, there's, there's one female superintendent, but really most of the leadership in the schools, football teams don't have an analogous female football teams, all men, all male coaches. Um, it's a heavily Catholic area. Um, the clergy is all male there. Um, and I went to a bunch of city council meetings. There are no women in city council. So who's sitting in the room? So even when the superintendent says protocol was followed, who wrote that protocol? Who thought, hmm, we're getting all angles here, really? <laughs> um, you know, so even just that the baseline, any and all like rules that are set and norms, like it's just half the population is missing from there. But back to Wisconsin, which is a pretty similar in that particular area um, region, the first question my educating facilitator asked was, okay, so you've seen this movie, Who's to Blame? And these are kids that have had like zero gender equity education or probably decent sexual education. And the first person they said was to blame was Jane Doe. Um, the second person, so my educator was like, dying inside and he was like, he tell me, told me about this on the phone. I was like, if I'd been there, I might have like burnt down that room. I'm really glad I wasn't there. Um, second question, so the second person to blame was, um, according to boys that had zero education about this, was uh, Jane Doe's parents. So moving on on the positive spectrum, uh, we went to a school and it's five boroughs in New York City and they had had six weeks of sex education, consent education, queer and trans inclusive, all kinds of stuff, inner city kids, right? They got this down. They knew about consent, they knew about victim blaming. Six weeks, you know, so um, Steubenville's not unusual. It's just not baked in anywhere in the US. And, you know, obviously people say, oh, all of the boys and you see this film, all teenagers, like, who's gonna help us get into public schools in the United States right now? You know, we want, we're available, we're gonna be on PBS, it's free, it's accessible. It's just we have to shift mindsets to allow for this truth to get in because your kids are doing this anyway, right? So not educating them about it doesn't, doesn't make it better. Well, uh, Brendan, I want to bring you into this conversation and, and ask just initially, what were your thoughts about the film uh, watching it? 
Um, yeah, I think that the uh, the film perfectly shows like the the complacency of, of kids nowadays. Um, like one of the things that we're trying to do is bring in the idea that that rape is something that you have to face in the world, but in like a isolated private school setting, it's not something that you really see on a day to day basis. And but there are these kids that because of that they don't realize the gravity of the situation. Uh, and the term loses its weight, and they start talking about rape in terms of, I don't know, a sports game or something. And I think that one of the things is we need to start teaching kids when they're younger because we're starting to, at EDS, uh, my school, we're um, bringing in sexual education before we go to uh, college about how to deal with rape victims and uh, situations such as that. But when you're at that age, it's hard to really understand. Like, um, even though I was interviewing people who were uh, victims of sexual assault, I couldn't really relate to them. Um, but if we start at a younger age, uh, then kids can really grow up knowing that it's something that happens in the world, and they can uh, start to be a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if... Um you know, I, so I also went to an all-boys high school. I went to St. Ignatius. And hearing in the one video where the, the, you know, the, the boys are laughing and mocking what happened, you know, I didn't personally have any experiences of the severity and gravity that was described in this film. But hearing that sort of mocking tone, at least, was familiar to me. I wondered how, uh, in, in your work in the film that, that you produced, how have you been having conversations with classmates or how have your classmates been talking about, you know, these issues of sexual assault and, you know, how boys can misuse their power when they all get together in a group like that? Right, well, um, the culture is definitely changing uh, because, I mean, the film has been showed to the whole school. So uh, I know that personally in the last year, I've heard the term much less often. And uh, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's perfect and it doesn't mean that kids know how to behave yet including myself, because I still haven't been exposed to these situations. But the understanding of how important it is is really starting to take a hold, at least in uh, our little community. Um, but we need to really like start spreading that to other people. And there are still people who will talk about rape or use it as a joke. And it's in a class of 25 people, and no one will stand up. And even the kids who have worked on the film, it, it's hard. Because you, in high school especially, people really value how they are seen by their peers. And standing up to that is not an easy thing to do, especially when you'll get called out for it. So even people who have talked to different women who have been assaulted by coworkers and friends who they trusted and then worked with them for years um, were violently attacked. Like, we've talked to these people, but that doesn't mean that it's automatically easy to stand up to your friends who you want to know, like, respect you. So it's, it's really just having the courage to finally stand up, including the teachers, when they hear that, to really get on kids to start shifting the culture. Mm -hmm. Now, we want to invite everyone into this conversation, so we will have folks uh, with microphones. And when you have a question that you want to ask, just raise your hand and we'll come to you. Feel free to direct it at any individual panelist or the panel as a whole. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, the, I, I remember reading this article, and, and the most troubling thing for me, well, I raised three daughters, okay, 
And the, and the most troubling thing for me was nobody, there was no man of honor in the whole thing. And when you talk about how you want to make change in people, we need, we need to raise our sons to be men of honor and to get involved and to, and, and to stand up for what's wrong. And that's the most troubling thing. And I was just wondering, in any of the investigation, was there anybody that you came across that tried to stop this? Uh, well, we have, thank goodness, some women of honor, two of whom at the table. Um, Marianne Hemeter, also prosecuting attorney. This also really is a film about women listening to each other and supporting each other to affect change. Um, Sean McGee is in the film. Um, and I really love what you said about it not being easy. We expect kids to be like miracle workers. Like, why aren't you doing this thing that's really hard that none of the adults in your life are doing? Like, why should a 16-year-old have to uphold the entire moral code of the school? It should be set by the teachers and the coaches that everyone's afraid of. So they're the ones who are supposed to keep kids in line, right? So um, we had Sean McGee in the film, who you met, the young man who he wasn't at the scene of the assault, and the assault was some distance away. But he, he had the social credibility, because he's an athlete, to be able to say, like, this isn't, first of all, he had the moral compass to say this isn't funny. Um, we could get in trouble. This is bad. But he also had the, the credibility that he could do it and not face big punishment. And some kids who do speak up do get punished. So I would say Sean McGee was a light and a voice in that group. Um, I would also say J.P. Rigo, the investigator, did a great job um, throughout. And I think, I think that might be it. Uh, Rachel, you want to add something? <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you to Brendan for being here because you're talking about courage. And I think getting up in front of a bunch yeah. of people and talking about this <laughs> takes some courage. Um, and also, I think, and, and Nancy and I have talked a lot about this, it's this complication of how do we start that teaching that you're talking about. So, you know, I'm a reporter. I cover sexual assault. I also have a son who's eight. So when and how do I start discussing this with him and in what context? There's not really a rule book for that. Like, there's an idea of, like, when you start to talk about birds and bees stuff, but not when you start talking about consent stuff. And so even just in, in working with Nancy and working on this film, I started to think, like, how do you do that? And so... He's like a little guy, and he's like in his little jujitsu class. And I watch them working out one day, and they're grappling with each other and stuff. And um, I noticed that the coach at Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu was teaching them like that if someone, if you're hurting someone, they can they just tap you on your shoulder, and you just have to stop. You know, no questions asked. That's them telling you no. Um, and so you know, we get in the car, and I'm like, hey, like tell me about this thing you're doing. And it opened up a conversation, and I took it a step further to say, that's the same for a lot of things. Like, maybe if you're ever hugging someone and they don't want to hug you, like, if they're, if they're giving you a sign or a signal, they don't want to do that, you need to stop. You need to respect that signal they're giving you. I don't know that that's natural for a lot of us, even if we do think about this stuff. So I think there's got to be things built in, not only for young people, but also for parents on how to have those conversations the right time at the right age. Um, thank you all for being here and doing all your amazing work. Um, and I was just quickly wondering, Alex, obviously you have a lot of really good like research and analytical skills. Um, and I'm wondering if you've ever thought of kind of getting back into blogging or if you have since the film. 
Yeah, um, I, I am starting to blog a little bit more. Um, you know, there was probably a good year and a half that I, I, I wasn't. I just couldn't, and I got really, really sick. Um, you know, in the film, you can see how my health is started to decline. So, you know, I'm finally getting healthy again, but I'm, I am blogging again, not as much as I used to, but hopefully I'll get there. My question is also for Alex. I was curious if you're able to tell like what group of parents tried to sue you and where that case ended up. Um, so it was the um, ex-boyfriend of Jane Doe, Cody Saltzman and his family. Um, that's who sued me. And they also sued 25 of my anonymous commenters. Um, yeah, so I had, you know, people like grandma of five being sued and, you know. Um, so I was living in California at the time and, you know, I had to get attorneys. And so, you know, they were trying to tell me to get out on a jurisdictional issue. And I just couldn't allow that because here are 25 people who came to my blog and used it as, you know, basically a fence post to talk about this case anonymously without having repercussions back in town where they lived. Um, you know, so I was really concerned about leaving them swinging in the wind. And, um, you know, I said, can we call the, the ACLU and ask them because, you know, I feel deeply this is a, a constitutional issue. You know, people have the right to call somebody a dirtbag. You know, that's just the reality of it. You know, free speech isn't, we're not protecting speech about unicorns and rainbows. Um, so I, you know, I'd ask them, you know, to contact the ACLU and the ACLU got back to us right away and said, yes, we feel this is a huge constitutional issue that their anonymity um, could be um, violated. And so they agreed to take on all 25 defendants. And it was at that point um, that the Saltzman family, you know, realized that I wasn't gonna back down and, you know, let's keep this thing going. And so it was at that point that they said, um, that they would do a dismissal with prejudice and ask me if um, Cody could publish an apology on my blog. And I was like, yeah, you know, absolutely. So that's what was happening. That's, we got it dismissed, thankfully. Oh, uh, first, I was shocked that they had the roster of the football players right on the, on the website. Um, knowing this goes back seven years ago, what have you seen has changed or what has changed in the culture in the Steubenville area? Yeah. Um, well, there's the new superintendent because Mike McVeigh was dismissed, but now he's a superintendent at a nearby school. Um, I mean, nothing's really changed, right? Um, things have cracked open. I think I was filming, I stopped filming September 16th. I started filming August 2013, a year after the incident. Um, and I think because we had an administration that was supportive of women and girls that took violence against women seriously, there was kind of a growing movement nationally and conversation around rape in the military and campus rape. You know, there was just like a lot of talk about this is serious and bad and Steubenville was part of that. And so I, I saw some thawing of the ice 
Um, certainly Coach, who I spent time with, had been humbled. You know, the two boys had been adjudicated guilty. He's like, okay, maybe, mm, maybe I should have taken it more seriously. He has daughters and granddaughters, you know. So there was some regret, and there was just some sort of how do we rebuild but there wasn't anything substantive, like the, you know, there had been one rape crisis voluntary meeting at the school for parents and the community that was not mandatory for all students. So like, you know, 10 people showed up. So they didn't make anything mandatory really. Um, and then the primaries and the election happened and I feel like people just really kind of dug in their heels. There was this opportunity to like shift and then I feel like things kind of snapped back into place. Um, but there are a lot of men and women who acknowledge that this, you know, all the people that came to the courthouse stairs, um, a lot of truth came out there. A lot of men were there. Um, so I think, I think we are moving forward, but in terms of like systemic change in that particular town, not really. Uh, I just wanted to like continue the statement uh, Ms. Baker talked about like how to teach uh, their children and uh, about like what is uh, talking about consent and everything and uh, it seems like not just the children even the adults do know mm -hmm. what the consent is and then after rather than teaching about like we've been taught about what no means no and stuff like that so I think maybe it's time to teach about like what yes means yes, mm -hmm. and what anything other than yes when a person has a like certain state of mind to make a decision, anything but yes should be a no. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think, like, have you met uh, those kind of people in your life uh, who have, like, even the adults who don't understand the meaning of consent? I think it has to go beyond rules and like what rules are mm. and and you know into practice of how to actually do that and so um, I've been to a couple of schools mm. where they talk about this I've seen folks like um, Alex Leslie at the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center do some trainings and some of the materials that he uses it's not just going in there and kind of like putting up a PowerPoint and saying here's the thing do it this way it's <laughs> it's actually practicing that thing so you know, I mean, we could have people practice like football, like 12 hours a day, <laughs> we're fine with that. But um, in terms of consent, you know, getting young people in a group, acting out a situation, how would you interact in this situation? What's a safe way for you to speak up? You know, is this a situation where you step in and take action? Or is this a situation where you create a distraction? Or is this a situation where you, you really just need to go get an, an adult? You know, like until you practice that and go through those scenarios, you're not going to really know when you're in that situation. So I think it's it's again just taking those next step steps further to spend as much time doing that and place value on that as we do on other types of things that we practice. Oh yeah, um, kind of like what you're saying is like uh, forcing people to not exactly forcing, but um, uh, making people face on what's going on head to head, um, like you you notice something that's going on, like your kid hurting somebody during Taekwondo. Um, and if you see something in the world, these like parents can take that and, you know, when even, even if your kid is young, make them see it. Like I remember uh, like four years ago when I was just like 14, my, uh, my mom forced me to read the testimony of the victim of the uh, Stanford rape case. And I remember how uh, extremely uncomfortable I was. And I kept like 
Like, I was like, I get it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to keep reading this. It's making me very uncomfortable. But she was adamant, and I kept reading it. And whenever I hear about a case or someone who was, uh, who was taken advantage of, that, always, that experience always comes back to me. So I think that just taking advantage of those opportunities to like teaching lessons is, is huge in uh, building a kid's moral foundation. Is your mom here? I know, she's yeah. great. Let's give Where's her your mom? <laughs> Where's mama? Oh. Um, I just, uh, we're developing, in addition to this education guide and the film rollout, um, and it should be ready by September, uh, interactive game that is like a role-playing game um, that's not about sexual assault per se, but it's more about peer pressure and bullying called Reputation. I'm working with a really brilliant game designer that's built for the classroom, and the goal of the game is to be popular. And then you go and then you're slowly, and it's kind of based on the film, but not really, no one's a perpetrator, no one's a victim. We're all kind of witnesses and bystanders, and it's sort of, um, your own moral compass about when something's wrong, but the goal of the game is to get points and be popular, which is really what high school's all about. <laughs> um, and that'll be ready in September. I wish I could take credit for the mouth, the brilliance of the behind the scenes of that game, but it's, uh, um, anyway, so that's coming, and it's, it's not as R-rated as this film. It's more PG-13, and I think it could help sort of unpack kids really looking at and practicing. Then there's tips on how to intervene and stuff like that. So. Uh, I'm told that we have time for one more question, I'm sorry to say, uh, but uh, if you will, please uh, uh, go right ahead. Hi, um, this is primarily for Nancy, but uh, for all of you as well. Um, I'm the, there's a lot about football and football cu culture that's uh, mixed into your movie. And I'm wondering what, if any, connection you see between high school football cu culture and rape and violence culture? Um, you know, well, I have an anecdote that I share. Um, the New York Ballet, right? The most beautiful, prestigious ballet company in the United States, men are leaping around in tights. They had a similar situation um, where they were sharing and humiliating um, some of the dancers and sharing photos among this total opposite of football, right? So. Um, I think what's really going on is when there's a group of kids, and Rachel says this so well in the film, when there's a group of kids that are privileged over other kids, that's where the problem is, and there's no accountability. So whether it's the rich kids or the football players or the top dancers, like whatever it is, anyone who's getting the message or group getting the message that um, you can get away with anything. We need you here. You're bringing in money. That's what happens in college, right, and then in the pros. Oh, you're bringing in money for the school. It doesn't matter if you're failing your classes or whatever, or it doesn't matter what you're doing. So, but on a high school level, it's really just about power and who has the power and who's enabling folks in that system to get away with things. Um, and that's what we saw in Steubenville. Um, so that's all I'll say about football culture, because, you know, I don't want to get hurt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you all for being here uh, to, to see this film and also to talk with our panelists. I want to say thank you to everyone for joining us, and uh, have a great night. <laughs>